Hello, Tours family. Uh, good to be here with you today. Before we get to Mark 14 in our passage this morning, I just wanted to update you briefly on upcoming gatherings for our church family. We are in conversation currently with the of CEC, and we're hopeful that those conversations will lend itself uh, to us uh, having an opportunity to come back together on Sunday mornings, uh, late August, maybe uh, beginning of September. There's another option uh, as well on the table that we are engaging with that would also open the door for us to come back uh, on Sunday mornings as well. Uh, for the time being, we're going to continue to worship as a church family. Uh, on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. Until further notice, we'll make sure to let you know when that changes. Uh, we'll send that out in the weekly uh, e-bulletin. Uh, we'll put a video out on our social media platforms. We'll make sure that uh, all the communication gets out to you when things change. But be praying. Continue to be praying for, for us, for our staff, for our leadership team as we uh, pray, as we seek the Lord's wisdom, and as we have these conversations with CEC. And another uh, option that might be on the table uh, for us so that we can come back together on Sunday morning, uh, hopefully very, very soon. I'm excited to be in the Word with you uh, in, these next, uh, um, in these next few minutes. Uh, if you will go ahead and turn to uh, Mark 14, uh, we're going to look at verses 27 to 52 today. We're coming toward the end of uh, Mark, um, uh, 16 chapters. Uh, we'll be finished with Mark around uh, Labor Day in September, uh, which is when we started the series last year. So we've been in this journey in the Gospel of Mark for about a year, and we're kind of uh, kind of landing it now towards the end of, uh, of the gospel. And we, we come today to a passage that I've been looking forward uh, to uh, talking about with you for uh, some time. I don't know if you knew this or not, but there's a, there's a streaker in the Bible, like for real. Like for real, there's a streaker. There's a, there's a naked guy that is fleeing the scene after Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's in our text Today, when we come to it at first glance, it's kind of it's kind of funny, but I think it begs the question: Why is this in there? We believe that all Scripture is God breathed; that the Holy Spirit has inspired uh, every word of Scripture, and it's profitable to us to teach us and lead us and transform us in the way of righteousness. Um, this story. Uh, today is a story of restoration. Uh, the passage is a story of restoration. Every story, my story, your story, every story gets restored in Jesus. Um, let me set the stage uh, for the narrative uh, before we read the passage together. Uh, it's Thursday night before Good Friday. The disciples had just had uh, the Last Supper, we called that really the first supper of the New Covenant uh, with Jesus in Jerusalem. That was last week's message. Judas Iscariot had already left. He left uh, the supper uh, to go and begin the arrangements with the enemies of Jesus. Um, the disciples, uh, after they uh, had this supper together, they sang a hymn. And they went out from Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives, two miles east, down the Kedron Valley, up to the Mount of Olives. That is the scene. That is where we pick the story up um, today. So Mark 
14, starting in verse 27. Uh, I'm just going to read to the end of the passage, uh, a little bit longer of a passage for us today. I'll make a few little comments here and there as we read through this. Verse 27, uh, they sing a hymn. They're on the Mount of Olives. Jesus, verse 27, says to the disciples, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others, all the other disciples, all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives. It's on the western side of the Mount of Olives. As you come back down off the Mount of Olives toward the Kidron Valley, the Garden of Gethsemane is there before you get to the Kidron Valley. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter and James and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. It was time, the, the mission of his death for the atonement of the sins of the world was coming near. Verse 34, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he said to them, stay here and keep watch or keep awake. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray. Stay awake and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more, Jesus went away and he prayed the same thing. He was wrestling with the Father. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning a third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting enough? The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared, and with him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him and lead him away under guard. And going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And the men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near, uh, John tells us this is Peter. Mark doesn't tell us it's Peter, but it was Peter because John tells us that in the Gospel of John. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. It's very interesting what happens next. What does Jesus do with all of this commotion? Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus? 
that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you. Every day over the last five days I've been with you teaching in the temple. Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. And when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. This is the word of God for our time together uh, today. Uh, Jesus, at the beginning of the passage, he quotes Zechariah, minor prophet Zechariah. He quotes Zechariah 13, and he looks at the disciples and he says, all of you are going to fall away. The sheep will be scattered, and the disciples uh, come to Jesus in unison, and they say, no, no, we won't. We will not deny you. We will not fall away. Even if we must die, we won't deny you. Now, when we get to this story of denial, Peter kind of has become the poster child of this whole story because uh, Jesus talks with him personally. He says, if once the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And so Peter has kind of become the person that we know of that's denying Jesus. But it says clearly in verse 31, they all said the same. It wasn't just Peter All of the 11 disciples were all saying the same thing, that none of them would deny Jesus and that all of them would die before they would deny Jesus. I just want us to keep that in mind that it's not only Peter. Again, I said this as we were reading through it. Gethsemane is on the western side or the Jerusalem side of the Mount of Olives, and Jesus was there to pray, to wrestle with the Father. And uh, this was his question. Father, is there any other, is there any other way? Is there any other way? Can you take this cup from me? But the Father's plan of salvation was substitutionary atonement for the forgiveness of sins. Again, we spent a lot of time talking about this in last week's message. There simply wasn't another way. This was the mission. This was the plan. Jesus is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. And Jesus is the Lamb of God who is our substitute dying in our place so that we could have life. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus and his work on the cross. His soul, it says, was sorrowful yet faithful. He was questioning and he was asking, is there any other way His soul was sorrowful, yet it was faithful, not what I will, but what your will. Let let your will be done. Jesus would be obedient to the Father to the very end. The time was near for his death, and he needed, he needed his men. He needed his brothers. He needed the disciples. What did he ask of them? As we read through that, he asked them three times something very specific. While he was praying and wrestling with the Father, he asked them to keep awake. This is exactly the same thing he had told them earlier that day. He told them to keep awake, to be on their guard, to be ready and to keep awake, but they didn't. They slept, and they slept again and again and again. I I had a realization uh, last summer, um, you guys know that I had a, the privilege of being in Israel, and I had this realization when we were in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
uh, looking down in the Kidron Valley and over to where Caiaphas' house was, where the high priest's house was. You can see it. It's not that far. You can see down the Kidron Valley. You're up higher on the, on the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. So you see down the Kidron Valley and then up toward the Temple Mount. And that's where Caiaphas' house was. Uh, remember, this whole scene is happening in the middle of the night. It was pitch black dark. And so the realization that I had uh, last summer was uh, Jesus in the garden while his men were sleeping, he could have seen Judas and all of the people with clubs and swords, we, he, he would have seen them coming almost the entire way. While he's praying, he's, they're, they're, they're carrying torches. He would have seen them the entire time. It wasn't like they just showed up and surprised him out of nowhere. Uh, John 18 in this story tells us that there were Roman soldiers Judas comes with this motley crew of soldiers and people from servants of Caiaphas' house, and they had swords and clubs in the middle of the night, and then Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. But not, not just Judas. He wasn't the only one that was departing. It, it, verse 50 says this clearly. When this was all going on, and they seized Jesus, Certainly, Judas was betraying Jesus with a kiss. Maybe it was fear. Uh, maybe it was something else. I'm not sure. Uh, I have some thoughts that I want to share with you. I invite you to consider. Uh, but all of the other 11 disciples, when this was all happening, they all left Jesus and fled. They were just ready. Remember what they had just told Jesus? They, they had just told Jesus that they were ready to die rather than to deny Jesus. And now they are deserting him literally hours later. Why? Why do you think uh, they had such a drastic change of heart? Uh, what did Jesus say? What, what did he do that caused them uh, to change from we will die with you rather than to uh, disown you to verse 50 all leaving and fleeing um, the Jesus the Jesus that they wanted uh, was not the Jesus they were getting and they um, they were offended by it the Jesus that they wanted was not the Jesus that they were getting and they were offended by they had been spending uh, time day after day with Jesus as the disciples for three years. Jesus had told them over and over and over what his mission was going to be, and that is to die. Uh, they had just taken the supper uh, together when Jesus said, this is the blood of my covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. After all of this, they still wanted, they still wanted the revolution, John 18 gives a lot more detail about what's going on in this story. And it says they all came looking, uh, this motley crew, Judas and these leaders and these Roman soldiers, they all came looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus, when they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, and when Jesus said, I am he, every single person that was coming to seize Jesus, they all fell to the ground. That's what the disciples wanted. Peter, Peter draws his sword. Mark doesn't tell us it's Peter, but John does. Uh, Peter draws his sword and starts swinging. That's what they wanted. 
What they wanted was the prophecy to unfold from Zechariah 14. Jesus quoted Zechariah 13. We've already talked about that, but what they wanted was a prophecy of Zechariah 14. Listen to the prophecy of Zechariah 14. Then the Lord, this is verses three and four of Zechariah 14. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. And on that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. That's where their feet were. Their feet were on the Mount of Olives. Verse 9 in Zechariah 14 says this, And the Lord will be king over all the earth. They, that's what they wanted. They, they, they wanted Jesus to be the earthly king, this military king that would remove Rome and the oppression that the Jewish people were under and to reestablish um, the preeminence and the dominance of the Jewish people in their, in their land. And they're like, Peter's like, and they're like, this is happening now. Jesus speaks a word, I am he, and they all fall down. But what did Jesus do with Peter? Again, from the story in John, uh, Jesus rebuked him. And then Jesus took uh, the ear that had fallen off of the Roman soldier, and Jesus healed the Roman soldier. Jesus made it clear that he was not starting a rebellion. Again, note this. Jesus didn't quote Zechariah 14 in our passage. He quoted Zechariah 13. Jesus quoted the prophecy of Zechariah 13, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. That's verse seven in Zechariah 13. Let me read you a couple of verses before that. Verse one, Zechariah 13. On that day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanliness. Verse six, Zechariah 13. And if one ask him, who are these wounds? What are these wounds on your back? He will say, the wounds I received from the house of my friends. They are offended because Jesus is the suffering servant. They're offended because he is letting letting Judas and this motley crew get away with it when all Jesus has to say is another word and they'll all be back down on the ground again. They wanted, they wanted the Zechariah 14 Jesus without the Zechariah 13 Jesus. They wanted the second coming now. They, they wanted Revelation 19, Jesus coming from heaven on a white horse with fire coming out of his eyes. They wanted the Revelation 19 Jesus without the suffering servant Jesus that dies as a substitutionary atonement for our sins and saves us. They forsook him. They were offended by, by this and they deserted him. Verse 50, they all fled. Again, the Jesus that they wanted is not the Jesus they were getting and they were offended. Uh, what do you do? What do you do when the Jesus that you want is not the Jesus that you get? What do you do when the Jesus that you think is Jesus isn't the Jesus that shows up or isn't the Jesus that presents 
itself in God's holy word. What do you do? What do we do when we are offended by Jesus? I mean, I, I, I like it. I like it when Jesus and the Bible, it scrutinizes and it calls out and it rebukes others for their sin when they are wrong. But do I embrace it the same when Jesus in the Bible scrutinizes, calls out, and rebukes me and calls me out for my sin to transform me, to, to by his kindness lead me to repentance and sanctification? We, we like it when Jesus loves and invites and welcomes all people. Yes, yes, and amen. People like Zacchaeus and people like the woman at the well in John 4 and people like the woman caught in adultery in John 8 and, the, um, and people like Peter, people like Peter, people like Paul, people like me, people like Jason. But do we embrace Jesus the same when he does not firm, affirm everyone's behavior. He did not affirm Peter's behavior in the garden that night. Peter, Peter was confused and he took something of his own volition, of his own action to do something that was not in alignment with the way of Jesus and Jesus rebuked him for it. Do we embrace Jesus the same when he does not affirm everyone's behavior or my, or my behavior? You see, grace, the grace, the radical grace of Jesus, grace is not only unmerited favor, it certainly is unmerited favor, but grace is also the empowerment in our lives to be transformed and to be conformed to the image of Jesus himself, Romans 8, 29. Grace, we say this all the time at Two Rivers, grace is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort and it is not opposed to obedience in the way of the kingdom of God. Grace empowers, grace is, uh, it is unmerited favor. Grace also empowers holy living in the way of Jesus. Grace doesn't say Follow Jesus at a distance. Peter that night began to follow Jesus at a distance. Grace says, follow Jesus. Believe him, trust him, follow him, obey him. What happened? What happened after they were offended and they deserted Jesus. They all fled, verse 50. What, what happened in the lives of those 11 disciples after they deserted Jesus, they forsook him, and they fled at his most urgent hour? They scattered. What happened? Restoration happened. The truth of the resurrection and the truth of the radical grace of Jesus to restore Every story is in our text. Jesus spoke that right after he prophetically said that they were all gonna desert him. He, he quotes Zechariah 13, and he says, you're all going to leave me. Right after he said that was gonna happen, the very next verse, he spoke prophetically of his resurrection and of his, rest, um, his uh, restoration. I wonder if you caught it. It's verse uh, 28 in our passage. Jesus said this, you will all fall away, but after I am raised, I will go before you to Galilee. 
after I am raised, I will come back to where you are. I will meet you in Galilee after I am raised. This is the promise. I will raise from the dead and I will meet you and I will restore you in Galilee. Even though you denied me and you forsook me and you deserted me, even though you exhibited fear instead of faith, I will meet you and I will restore you again in Galilee. Why Galilee? It was their home. It was their home. Peter, after all this took place, Peter went back home to his old job. He started fishing again. The revolution is over. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back home, and I, I'm a professional fisherman. I'm going to start fishing. This whole story, and I would encourage you to read this later. It's in John chapter 21, and they're out fishing not catching anything. Jesus is on the side. They don't know it's Jesus. And he's like, throw the net on the other side. And they throw the net on the other side. They catch this load of fish. They bring the fish in. Jesus spends time with them on the shoreline and he cooks them all breakfast. They have a meal. They have another meal together in Galilee. This story in John 21, when Jesus is on the shoreline, of the Sea of Galilee, this is where Jesus goes back to Peter and says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He asked Peter three times, do you love me? For every denial that Peter said he didn't know Jesus a few days before. I, um, uh, just so you know, um, we, we did a deep dive on this restoration story of Peter. Uh, I preached a message on May 5th, 2019. Uh, it is called Restored Joy is the name of the sermon. Uh, it's really Peter's testimony. If you're interested uh, in that uh, longer message, you can go back and listen to that message again. But this is where the restoration took place in Galilee. His unmerited favor and his grace restored them and empowered their lives. And this was the exhortation to Peter and all the disciples I'm restoring you and I am empowering you. And this is the exhortation. Follow me. Don't follow me at a distance. Follow me. Trust me. Believe me. Follow me and tend to and feed my sheep. And as we get into the story in Acts after the ascension of Jesus, um, the disciples, those 11, they would never desert Jesus again, even when they came up to really intense persecution at the cost of their own lives. Why? Why did they never desert Jesus again? Because they had a revelation of the resurrection. Every one of them saw Jesus alive. Jesus was dead and now he is alive and they would never desert Jesus again because they knew that he was alive. All of us, all of us need fresh revelation of the resurrection. When we have fresh revelation of the resurrection, that Jesus is the living God, that he is alive, and that his presence is with us, that his spirit dwells within us, uh, we are stirred up in peace and hope and all of the promises of God that are fulfilled in Jesus. Again, every story gets restored in Jesus because of his death for us and his resurrection. Every shame, every doubt we struggle with, every failure in our life, every denial, all redeemed and restored in Jesus. Jesus covers our shame. He 
covers our nakedness and he puts his robe of righteousness on us. I think we said this in last week's message. The gospel isn't shame on you. The gospel is shame off of you. So when Jesus meets the disciples in Galilee, the posture and the message wasn't shame on you for deserting me. The message was shame off of you. I love you. I forgive you. You are restored. Now you are empowered to follow me and tend to my sheep and feed my sheep. This is the gospel. Jesus covers our shame, our nakedness, and puts the robe of righteousness on us. And they would never desert Jesus again because they had that revelation of the resurrection. Let's end with the story of the naked guy fleeing the Garden of Gethsemane. Again, Mark 14, 51. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and he ran away. I wanted to underline for you in that verse, young man and linen cloth. That phrase, young man, that's a pretty rare usage in the New Testament. Only, I think, three or four places is that word used in the original language. Same for linen cloth, also has rare usage in the New Testament. Keep those two phrases in mind. There's only one other place uh, when these words, linen cloth, young man, is used in the same verse, and it's two chapters later in the Gospel of Mark, Mary Magdalene. This is Sunday morning after Good Friday. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, they go to the tomb of Jesus. In Mark 16, I think this is verse 5, it says, Entering the tomb, they saw a young man. There's the phrase again. They saw a young man sitting at the right. They come, they come into the tomb. There's a young man sitting inside the empty tomb. And he is wearing a white robe and they were amazed and he said to them he said to mary magdalene mary the mother of james and salome he said to them do not be amazed you are looking for jesus the nazarene who has been crucified he has risen he is not here now the question is who who's the guy in mark 14 that had his linen cloth ripped off of him and he's running through the dead of the night naked. And who's the guy sitting in the tomb in Mark 16? Uh, was it, maybe it was, Mark, it was Mark 16, was that an angel sitting in the tomb in Mark 16? Uh, some think that perhaps uh, the guy in the garden maybe could have been Lazarus. Remember, right before all this happened, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and maybe he was still walking around hanging out with his burial clothes on. Uh, maybe that's a possibility. Um, again, perhaps it was an angel in Mark 16. I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. But I, I think that if it was an angel, it, it, when we read the scriptures and the angels make uh, these appearances, the Bible tells us it was an angel. And in Mark 16, it doesn't, I, I think it would say it was an angel if it actually was an angel. But what it says in Mark 16 is that it was a young man 
in the empty tomb. Now, here's just something for you to consider. Um, something for you, because we don't, we don't know. But I think this is a pretty um, hope-filled thing to consider. And so I'm just inviting you to consider something with me. Do you know that John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, was a young man who wrote Peter's account of the life and the ministry of Jesus. John Mark is writing Peter's account of Jesus's life and ministry, and he was a young man. So my question for you to consider is this. Could it have been John Mark in Mark 14 running through the Garden of Gethsemane naked, and could it have actually been John Mark again in the empty tomb in Mark 16. And he is giving us a window into his very own restoration redemption story. I'm just inviting you, I'm inviting you just to consider that that could be a possibility. Think about this with me for a second. The shame of running away naked and afraid from the garden. I'm, I'm afraid the linen cloth has been ripped off of me. I am running afraid and, and in shame because I'm naked. Now, to three days later, now I am sitting in the empty tomb. But here's the difference. The white linen in Mark 14 was replaced with a white robe in Mark 16. Isaiah 1:18 Come now let us reason together the prophet Isaiah says says the Lord though your sins are like scarlet they shall be as white as snow though they are red like crimson they shall become like wool Isaiah prophet Isaiah 61 verse 10 I delight greatly in the Lord my soul rejoices in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and he has arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness Mark 16 verse 5 As they entered the tomb they saw a young man dressed in a white robe Isaiah 61, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and has arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. This is a story of restoration, redemption, transformation, and empowerment in the way of Jesus. When we receive, think think about this, when we receive the work of Jesus in Zechariah 13, to cleanse them from sin. When we receive the work of Jesus, the suffering servant of Jesus on the cross of Calvary, when we receive that, when we believe that, we live in the mission and the hope of Zechariah 14. The Lord is king over all of the earth. And so I say, I say, Lord, empower us to be awake awake in our lives we need faith and courage to stay awake in these days church ready on our guard keeping awake not sleeping and not 
slumbering in our faith, but awake. And so I say, let faith arise in your mind and in your heart and get into spiritual rhythms with the Lord, with his word, in worship, in fellowship, uh, in community, in coming to the Lord's table regularly so that we stay awake, on our guard, ready, hope-filled in this season. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Let faith arise. Come, come Lord Jesus. Amen. As we wrap up our service today, as we sing these songs, I would encourage you to pray, Lord, let faith arise in my life to be restored, redeemed, transformed, and empowered as Jesus followers to be salt and light so that people are attracted to the aroma and the atmosphere of hope and peace and joy and life in us as we live on mission in our city in these days. God bless each one of you.